Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, Week 13 Waiver Wire Edition. I'm your host, Dean Harditz. Happy Tuesday. Happy Week 13. Hope those fantasy football squads have clinched the playoff spot or on the way to doing so. You can always get better. Or if you're battling for that last spot, maybe you need to go make a couple moves on the waiver wire to help get you there. And that's what we are here to help you with today. We, meaning myself and PFF's finest, the one true great ranking expert we have at this lovely company nathan yonke nate what's going on man uh doing well our sleeper league i'm on a four game winning streak despite my top quarterback running back wide receiver and tight end all being on injured reserve so i have very much to use our waiver suggestions we've been talking about each week and using it to my advantage don't want to hear excuses about injuries, Nate, and obviously you've overcome those just fine. But remember, part of being a great fantasy football team manager, being a leader, not, you know, cowering in the face of adversity and continuing to hold a strong front for those men on your bench, unless they suck and then cut them and never think about them again. So we will get right to Nathan's ever fantastic waiver wire articles, which you can always find on PFF.com after we wrap things up with week 12, as we always do on this podcast with my sheesh report, fantasy football fall. Out. It's a little more SEO friendly, the editors have told me, but you can also find that always on pff.com and for free. How about that? So, with that, I want to go through all the near misses from week 12 and starts off with the sheesh of the week. Derek Henry could have, should have, would have been that 75 yard house call, but Hustle ended up winning the day, fumbled it on the five yard line, and Traylon Burks decided to get the score instead, falling on the ball in the end zone. So, still a touchdown, just obviously didn't go to the guy that everyone thought it was going to go to with the first 70 yards of that play and also my goodness Nate like I get it we have this catch roll thing every couple weeks it flares up and we have another example but three in one week just completely making me scratch my head and I firmly believe like objectively as someone that has spent the better part of my life obsessing over football I really thought these were catches first CD Lamb amazing one-handed catch in the back of the end zone on Thanksgiving but because his heel came down after his toes they decided to rule him out of bounds which okay I can kind of get it but when Des Bryant says it was a catch and I see that Zay Jones touchdown later in the week ruled uh, a catch as well maybe it was Marvin Jones but regardless I have seen far worse ruled a catch unfortunately CeeDee Lamb's touchdown was not later in Thanksgiving maybe you're snoozing on the couch already after all that turkey and stuff but Patriots tight end Hunter Henry sure looked like he caught a six yard touchdown catch and yes the ball did seem to juggle as he went to the ground but the ball didn't ever look like it touched the ground so the fact 
fact it was ruled a touchdown on the field and then somehow overturned you just hate to see it could have should have would have had that six yard score and i think most egregious was the chris alave 30 yard reception from Taysom hill down the middle of the field he took one two three steps was going to the ground and yeah he didn't maintain possession through the ground because he had already established the freaking catch should have been an issue where the ground can't cause a fumble instead they ruled it an incompletion i still don't get it also deandre swift man what an ugly start to thanksgiving that was for fantasy managers of swift hasn't exactly been great ever since he got back from uh you know being banked up with those injuries and man thanksgiving was probably the roughest performance yet in terms of what could have been man he had a sequence there where he gets down scores a nine yard touchdown okay they actually ruled that he was down at the two yard line no problem lions do the cool guy move they dial up a nice pick play for swift Goff gets pressured, sails the ball high and out of bounds. On the same drive, he then got back down to the one-yard line after getting another carry. And guess who ends up scoring? Amon Ross St. Brown. So it was good to see the Sun God be on the other end of this because we've been talking about him finishing just short, you know, the last few weeks. But, man, the fact that Swift had another chance for a touchdown later, potential 11-yard catch that he just couldn't quite catch and then twist over the goal line. Shishi performance from DeAndre Swift. Please, Ravens fans, Ravens haters, whoever you are, there are a lot of examples this season of Lamar Jackson not really being up to par as a passer. It's it's true. Since week three, he has only scored, I believe, eight touchdowns. And through week three, he had 12 of them. So it hasn't been a good stretch from Lamar, but he was not the reason the Ravens lost that game, the Jaguars. We had a drop from Mark Andrews on what would have been a one-yard touchdown. Yes, they scored the same drive, but they did not score the same drive when Demarcus Robinson dropped a 12-yard score and Josh Oliver dropped an 18-yard score. So Lamar did have one miss himself uh, early on in the game, second play of the game, actually. Demarcus Robinson was open for what should have been a 50-yard touchdown, but my God, three drop touchdown passes in one game. Official drops. These are not even me going out and saying like, ah, it would have been a lot cooler if we caught it. Official drops should have caught it. Amazing comeback by Trevor Lawrence, but Lamar Jackson did more than enough to win in that one. Other plays that were officially ruled a drop touchdown, Cortland Sutton from one yard out. I already mentioned Andrews, Oliver, and Demarcus Robinson. Also had Deontay Johnson. My God, Nate, 94 targets for this guy on the season now without a score. Had a two-yard fade in his hands. Couldn't quite come down with it. And then finally, another thing that, hey, I know we've caught in some flack for this. And good, let's keep the PFF grades honest. There's nothing wrong with you know coming out and saying if you have a problem with it. And seeing Andy Dalton as PFF's fifth highest graded pass, yeah it shocked me a little bit too just realize he does do some little things that can help that you know low turnover worthy play rate doesn't take many sacks and outside of Chris Olave who is he really being able to throw the ball to out wide receiver and tight end that he can trust you saw examples of this last week when Taysom Hill dropped a four-yard fade Jawan Johnson let a 12-yard touchdown go directly into his face mask I thought the thing was actually going to get squeezed into his face mask that's how on point the pass was couldn't come down with it and then Alvin Kamara fumbled out the one-yard line on a near short touchdown so look I don't think one single stat can encompass really anybody in any facet of life and especially not a quarterback so that goes through you know PFF grades completion percentage over expected EPA per play whatever you want to go with I think it's a collection of resources and yes PFF passing grade I do think can help show when guys were better than the box score indicated like Andy Dalton particularly in week 12 
had some nullified touchdowns in this one. Luckily, none of them were too impactful in terms of guys we usually care about. Isaiah Hoggins for the Hodgins for the Giants had a 24-yard short pass to the house that got nullified on a pretty ticky-tack ineligible man down field penalty. Giants, unfortunately, had to kick a field goal on the drive. Broncos tight end Greg Dolchich, rare, pretty damn nice play from Russell Wilson to get him a 13-yard touchdown. Unfortunately, got nullified on offsetting penalties. Elijah Mitchell now going to miss quite some time. Had a 32-yard house call. George Kittle got called on a pretty soft holding penalty, if I do say so myself. And finally, Patrick Mahomes, four-yard touchdown to Noah Gray, but the score was nullified due to an ineligible man downfield. A few pass catchers who I really do think could have scored with a more accurate pass. DJ Chark just about had himself a 30-yard touchdown with only 30 seconds remaining. Goff could not put the ball on him. Nico Collins had a potential 10-yard score, but pressure forced a bad throw from Kyle Allen. Jalen Virgil for the Broncos could have had a 35-yard touchdown. Russ sailed it long, and then Russ also skipped in a potential touchdown to Kendall Hinton from 13 yards out. Tommy Trumbull had a step of separation for a potential 5-yard score. Donald couldn't put it on him. Probably the most egregious one of these, Terry McLaurin open in the back of the end zone. Taylor Heineke, 12-yard score. Nope, he threw it high and out of bounds. Austin Eckler had another potential touchdown, eight yards, but Herbert couldn't quite get it there. On that same drive I mentioned where uh, Patrick Mahomes found Noah Gray, for a touchdown that got nullified. He then also almost had uh, Jody Forston and Jarek McKinnon for nine-yard scores. Couldn't quite put the ball in the money. Aaron Jones had that 13-yard touchdown wipe off the board due to a holding penalty. But then, hey, he scored a 23-yard touchdown anyway, so that was a lot cooler. And finally, George Pickens. I'm sorry, I said the McLaurin one was the most egregious. This was definitely the most egregious. George Pickens, wide open from four yards out and just – Seeing him not make a catch on a ball that hit his hands at this point is just surprising to see because he's made so many great catches this year but couldn't quite haul the end that, again, bad pass from Kenny Pickett. Have one hand on it. You know, you would have liked to see him catch it, but certainly should have been a far easier catch than Pickett made. Unrealized air yards leaderboard, number one, Mike Evans with 130 unrealized air yards in this one. Only 31 receiving yards, have plenty of downfield opportunities he just couldn't get to. David Njoku back in action with 86 unrealized air yards. Jalen Waddle, 82. Julio Jones, 73. Michael Gallup, 71. And DJ Chark, 71. And finally, these were the players who got stopped at the one-yard line and then did not score on that same drive happened twice to Dalvin Cook on the same drive tw- happened twice to Jermichael Hasty on the same drive Alvin Kamara fumbled out the one Lamar Jackson and Daniel Jones got stuffed at the one both DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams got stuffed at the one on that Sun God touchdown drive Kenneth Gamewell Gary Brightwell Darius Slayton Jawan Jennings and Kendall Hinton also all stopped at the one at some point on Thursday or Sunday and could not find the end zone afterwards and with that everybody we're moving right on along to week 13 always good to close things out with a good reminder of all the things that pissed us off the most from last week so nate moving on getting back to being positive getting back to glass half full ian and nate let's talk about the top five players to add in week 13 as always everyone can find your fantasy waiver wire week 13 five to add drop buy low sell high on pff.com so first things first Yes, the Rams have been a gross offense all season long. I'm not sure they're going to be getting better right now. Adam Schefter is saying uh, Matthew Stafford could be held out the rest of the season, which I think would make sense. But we got a bit of a national reporter battle going on here, Nate. We have Rapshi saying that there have been no talks about taking him out for the rest of the season. So I think Rapshi probably has the lead uh, this year at this point. We'll see if Schefter can start to gain back in the standings. But 
Specifically, the one area where we still might have some hope in this offense is at running back. Obviously, Daryl Henderson got waived last week. Malcolm Brown's been out of the picture for a while now. We did not see Ronnie Rivers get another chance out there. And that finally condensed things down to just Cam Akers and Kyron Williams. And Nate, as you talk about, yes, we did see Cam Akers, you know, have, a bu- have more touches overall than Williams out there. But when you actually look at who is better and who is playing more often, a lot of things point in the direction of Williams. Oh, yeah. Williams uh, took all the passing down snaps, which was to be expected, but he played uh, 21 early down snaps to 15 by Cam Akers, and he took all the short yardage snaps. So that most likely means that they're going to see the goal line opportunities going forward. We could very well see Williams there. And I know the Rams offense hasn't been great as of recently or all season, but the Rams do have a couple good upcoming opponents that are very favorable for the Rams running backs these next three weeks. So I think Williams is someone that can be picked up and can be around the wide re- or not wide receiver running back 24. So right borderline starter. And we still have bye weeks these next two weeks. So I think he's someone that can definitely fill in in the very short term. Six bye weeks in week 14. I don't know who thought this was a good idea. I'm sure the NFL teams don't exactly appreciate it. Like at this point, maybe get them more in the middle of the year. I don't know. But to Nate's point, all of a sudden, we are going to have another one of those weeks where guys like Kyron Williams, who you wouldn't think are going to be able to squeeze in that top 20, top 24, actually could be there. And that schedule, man, is it tasty here. Not just next week, but honestly, through week 17, as Nate mentioned. Week 13, they get the Seahawks, who are 31st in PPR points per game allowed to opposing running backs. Then they get the Raiders, who are 28th. The Packers are 26th. The Broncos in Week 16, 14th. Wouldn't be shocked if their motivation level isn't, you know, probably more on par with the Rams by that point in the season. And then in the Fantasy Championship, the Chargers at 29th. So not impossible for Cam Akers to continue to make this a 50-50 split. It's a bad offense. I get it. But again, Sean McVay, similar to Cliff Kingsbury, similar to Mike Mike Tomlin, Matt Canada, whoever you want to give the credit to in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, one of the few coaches out there willing to give their RB1 a true workhorse role. Certainly seems like Kyron Williams is moving in the right direction to get just that. Nate, running back that we're not expecting to have the same level of workhorse role, but still someone that should be seeing 15-plus touches seemingly more weeks than not here moving forward. And when you're in a good enough offense, that can be perfectly fine. Gus Edwards with the Baltimore Ravens returned from the hamstring and knee injuries that kept him out since week eight and looked good enough out there. And perhaps more importantly, Nate, this wasn't a situation where Gus came back and it was a three-headed committee with him, Kenyon Drake, Justice Hill, really saw Gus Buzz take the lead in the first game back. Oh, yeah. He was playing over half the snaps on early downs, over half of the short yarded situations. And more importantly, when he was in those short yarded situations and on early downs, he was often running the ball. So he was the only one seeing significant carries for the Ravens out of the backfield. It was still technically a three man committee, but it was because Justice Hill and Kenyon Drake were basically splitting one person's role as the passing down back. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think we can trust Edwards to be the primary runner, at least for the short term. J.K. Dobbins is expected to come back sooner rather than later, so he might not be the greatest long-term back, but at least if you're looking for someone this week, they have a pretty easy schedule the rest of the way as well, which helps. Ravens did designate Dobbins to return from injured reserve with that knee injury. We'll see. But at the same time, Gus Edwards has even back in 2020 when Mark Ingram got phased out of that offense. Like this was far more of a 1A, 1B backfield than most, you know, were willing to admit. And J.K. Dobbins, like when you just hear the details about this injury that he's been dealing with, I mean, Dobbins said himself that he didn't actually suffer a setback. They just didn't 
didn't think that he was there at 100% when they originally put him back on the injured reserve list. So maybe that extra time has helped them get back to 100%. But, man, Nate, this is a team that continues to win but also continues to not exactly put forward the best offensive performances. And, yes, they did lose last week. But generally they have been doing a good job winning over the last few months. So I don't think it would be shocking at all if Dobbins comes back, continues to look like a shell of himself, that Gus Edwards continues to be the lead back here down the stretch. But to your point, at least for week 13, Gus Edwards looking pretty damn good. And I appreciate my guy Drake Holiday here in the chat. Gus Edwards, he averages five yards per carry every single year, and we just don't care. The guy's talented, okay? It's okay to be a talented player just because you don't have day one or day two draft capital on your name. We always fall in this trap. I've talked about it with the Giants and how we have this inherent belief that Wandale Robinson is more talented than Darius Slayton because he was a second round pick. And at some point, like NFL production, realized NFL production probably should contribute to our, you know, perspective about what actually makes someone talented or not. I am going to go out on a limb here and say Gus Edwards, pretty damn good at football. I mean, look at that play he made against the Giants a couple years ago. Like he basically like mossed the dude 10 yards, broke a couple tackles, turned this, you know, what should have been an incompletion, like a 40 yard gain. There's a few of those players around the league, Nate, where I feel like, you know, if, if JK Dobbins had made that same exact play, it would have had an extra 10,000 views on uh, social media. I was making fun of uh, some stuff in the summer where it was like they give updates on Isaiah Pacheco versus Jared McKinnon versus Clyde Edwards-Alaire all doing the exact same thing. And it's like the Pacheco video has an extra 100,000 views. So, hey, it worked out in hindsight and everything. But keep in mind, Gus Edwards, good at football and should have a very good too, you know, pretty good uh, workload here, at least in week 13. Cowboys wide receiver Michael Gallup. Finally got past Noah Brown for the second spot on that Cowboys depth chart on Thanksgiving. It does seem like that he is also getting healthier, obviously. He wasn't able to start the season on time. Coming back from that ACL injury, and Nate, even if we have a Cowboys team that is so good on defense that they don't usually have to keep their foot on the gas, we do have a healthy Dak Prescott, which has helped them get back into scoring a lot of points here. I mean, from weeks one to week, let's see, six, this was an offense that didn't score more than 25 points in a single game. Since getting Dak Prescott back under center, 24, 49, 28, 40, and 28 points. So you look at the upcoming schedule for them, Colts, Texans, Jaguars, Eagles, and Titans. A lot of secondaries now that we aren't particularly afraid of. Talk about Michael Gallup and your rest of season expectations here. Yeah, I think he'll be good, particularly, particularly once we get closer to the fantasy playoffs since the Colts are a team that they do have a pretty good secondary and the Texans are a team that actually hasn't allowed a lot of fantasy points to wide receivers, particularly because teams are blowing them out and they just have to run against Houston all day and they're able to run against Houston all day. So in the very short term, I could see Gallup not being the best option because Dallas very well could just give the ball to Elliott and Pollard throughout the game and win the game. But I think the schedule does get a little bit better during the fantasy playoffs. So he's someone to hold on to, hope he still has that, number two role in a few weeks from now, which I think he should at this point in the season with how well he played with that number two role this past week. So I think Gallup's definitely the most interesting wide receiver to pick up that had something good happen to him this past week. 
only 44% owned in ESPN leagues. Gus Edwards is at 40%. I mean, Nathan is giving you guys that we are hopeful are going to be available there on the waiver wires. So I know sometimes we listen to these things and it's like, oh my gosh, like how can you recommend this guy? He's owned everywhere. I mean, Kyron Williams, who we've been talking about for a good month now, Nate, still only owned in 19% of ESPN leagues. So apologies if you happen to be in the 19% of leagues that have all these guys owned already, but we are trying our hardest here. And the whole OBJ thing, just I don't what's the timeline man because now we're hearing like oh he's unlikely to play before mid-December or even late December that was the latest report from uh Ian uh Rappaport but before then man there were times where yeah November 6th Jay Glazer who we know has his role like three sources minimum to be able to give us anything I kind of wish that Jay would maybe give us some notes before 1255 you know five minutes before every single kickoff but my god like what an absolute king move for him to continue to do that regardless I mean, he reported on November 6th that Beckham will be, quote unquote, ready and cleared by the end of the week. So I guess there could be, you know, different stages of being cleared and all that. But just a confusing situation. And if we don't see Beckham coming back to the table or coming to Dallas, because, hey, that's not exactly guaranteed either. Michael Gallup does profile as the number two, worst case, number three pass catcher moving forward in Dallas. After Gallup, Nate, your number four player to add this week, going to be New York Jets quarterback Mike White coming off the best, basically, I would say the best uh, quarter performance by a New York Jets quarterback this season, maybe Flacco in that comeback against the Browns earlier this year. Certainly better than anything uh, Zach Wilson was able to put. So I do uh, talk about in my quarterback articles, which you guys can find on PFF.com. Every single Tuesday, I broke down a look. I'm sorry, Wednesday. It's out tomorrow, guys. I write it on Tuesday. Give me a break here. But I talk about some of the concerns about Mike White in terms of his long term upside here, because basically over the past two seasons, 51 qualified quarterbacks, only Colt McCoy and Mike White have an average target depth under seven yards. So he has not been asked to do much. He also has literally the third highest turnover worthy play rate of any quarterback over the past two seasons. Now he is averaging 7.9 yards per attempt. That's the third highest rate in the league. So even if he's not doing this with the most style, even if he is being a little bit erratic, you know, those are things that might be more real life issues than necessarily in fantasy and in fantasy, Nate, yes, the jets defense is good, but also, yes, there's a lot of viable receivers there in a jets offense that keeps on losing running backs. So Mike white might have that perfect blend of, okay, is he going to be, you know, a future franchise star? I don't know. I would lean towards no, but maybe he gets better. Everything I said is also for a guy that we've only seen for four or five games. So I don't want to act like that. You know, we've already wrote the book on what his career is going to be. At the end of the day, he looked awfully good last week. And at least for this week against the Vikings, more than reasonable to expect another good performance. Uh, yeah. If you're complaining that there's too many players that we talk about that aren't available in your leagues, I would hope Mike White is available in your league. But the Jets um, will play face the Vikings. The Vikings are the top 10 in allowing fantasy points to quarterbacks, and they're going to need a pass to pass a ton in this game because they'll probably fall behind early because of how good Minnesota is. And he looked very good in terms of PFF grade, in terms of statistics. In this past game, 11.3 yards per attempt, over 75% completion percentage, which is great to see for a quarterback. Yeah, they didn't ask him to do a lot, but all he needs to do is get the ball in his receiver's hands and let them do the rest of the work. And it doesn't matter for fantasy football how he gets those yards. Those yards still count. So White's someone that I'm happy to at least add to my team, take a chance on because he could continue to play this well for the next two or three weeks. And if so, 
then you have someone on your bench that you might consider starting in these last couple weeks of the season. And it doesn't matter if he's the future of the franchise. We just have five weeks left in the fantasy football season. Number five player to add off the waiver wire tight end Foster Moreau via the Las Vegas Raiders has a true every down role, not kind of true every down role has not missed a single snap over the past two weeks for the Raiders. So look, we saw in week 11, one catch 33 yards. Like there is going to be a low floor for Foster Moreau on any given week, but what tight end doesn't have a low floor out there other than Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews uh, seemingly each and every week of the season. So with Foster Moreau, Nate, yes, a lot of the offense will continue to go straight through Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs, but if we had to pick a number three option, it's going to be Fawson Rowe or Matt Collins more weeks than not. Talk about your rest of season expectations for, you know, this. I would be very surprised if Darren Waller comes back uh, at this point in the season. Maybe he's going to be eligible with the hamstring issue, but it's just one of those things where unless the Raiders keep on winning, man, we are looking at a team that is what four and seven at this point in the season. Yes, that is correct. So cautiously optimistic Foster Moreau is going to be their tight end the rest of the year. What do you make of him as a fancy asset down the stretch? Um, I have him right around tight end 12 for my rest of the season rankings. It's just a case of, we have so many good tight ends with injuries and we haven't had the backups really replace those tight ends. This is one of the situations where a backup tight end is clearly replacing that tight end, at least in terms of playing time, rather than two or three different guys replacing him. So he has a decent floor just in the fact that he's not leaving the field. He's only missed three or four snaps over the last five or six weeks, which is pretty much unheard of at tight end these days. So the fact that he's rarely leaving the field is helpful. The fact that the Raiders probably won't be winning a lot of these games or at the very least be close in these games where they'll need to be passing a lot. So he doesn't need to be all that efficient. He just needs to see a couple of targets on how much volume he's getting in terms of playing time. So he has played decently well in some of these games. He has scored touchdowns, but it's cases where like Juwan Johnson, someone we've talked about in recent weeks and his playing times actually been declining recently. So other tight ends that we've been talking about in this tight end 10 to tight end 15 range keep getting worse. So the bar for tight end keeps getting lower and Murrow is someone who's at or slightly above that bar. It was funny doing my rankings last week. Like the amount of running backs just had a lot of things breaking right for them. I mean, I had dudes like ranked outside the top 24 that you could still wrap your minds around like having really big games. And we saw some of that guys like, you know, Latavius Murray, Deontay Foreman, where maybe we questioned exactly how much they were going to touch the ball. But like these were quality players that you could easily see getting 15 plus touches. And they did. On the other hand, at tight end, I mean, you said it, man, we didn't have a single buy last week, but you got to like tight end seven or so in the rankings and it's like what are we even doing here at this point so with Foster Moreau it's one of those things where he's always been fine I think the expectations and the hype for him just got put out of control last season because he had the really good game against the Eagles six catches 60 yards and a touchdown and then in week let's see 11 Darren Waller got hurt you know basically early on in that game he was everyone's favorite single you know waiver wire piece for the next week and he dudded right when everyone was trusting him but you even look down the stretch of 
last season, he was still able to put together some performances with over 60 yards and more importantly, that every down roll that we know will give him a chance to score touchdowns here, hopefully sooner rather than later. So again, guys, Nate's top five waiver wire additions of the week. Number one, Rams running back Kyron Williams. Number two, Ravens running back Gus Edwards. Number three, Cowboys wide receiver Michael Gallup. Number four, Jets quarterback Mike White. And number five, Raiders tight end Foster Moreau. Before we get on to the rest of Nate's fantastic waiver wire analysis, want to give a quick shout out to some of our lovely sponsors out there. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out right now. Everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped up. Same game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code PFO. Place a $5 bet in any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free PFF and free bets if they do only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code PFF. Also, as we do on every single episode, got to give some love to our friends over there at Sleeper. Nate was hyping up his streaking four straight win squad in the PFF Fantasy League before the show started. You know, I got my squad free Duke Johnson. Maybe I'm setting up, you know, Nate, when you name your team after a guy, that isn't on your team it's just a sort of bad voodoo that isn't going to give you a lot of breaks in the eyes of the fantasy gods so you know sometimes you gotta look in the mirror and say what could i have done better as a manager and that would probably be my biggest issue but i am sitting sadly at five and seven as the six and six fighting nate yonkies are taking the edge but enough about that nate with our specific sleeper segment which again fantastic app out there any of you guys that are just in a redraft league dynasty league if you're not happy with the current platform i can guarantee you sleeper is going to have whatever you're looking for and in this case nate we are looking for the best waiver wire edition of the week and you already said it man kyron williams look there just aren't many running backs on the waiver wire that can play 70 percent of their offensive snaps it's giving me similar vibes to rex burke at the end of last season who actually came through with a couple of really big weeks there down the stretch. Now, you didn't feel good starting Rex Burkhead. You're not going to feel good starting Kyron Williams. I can tell you that right now. But again, really bad running backs and bad offenses have been able to be good fantasy assets because of that sweet, sweet volume. So Kyron Williams, has the schedule. It looks like he has the role. He doesn't have the offense, but beggars can't be choosers in week 13 of the freaking season. So God forbid Kyron Williams still out there on your waiver wire, which he allegedly is in 81.4% of ESPN leagues. Don't be afraid to go get a legit starting running back that could even have a larger role down the stretch should Sean McVay and company decide they are fed up with the Cam Akers experience. Appreciate you guys tuning in with us live today real quick before we get to the waiver wire Nate answer a few of the questions we had dropped down in the chat overall thoughts on the 49ers backfield situation we did get word that Elijah Mitchell allegedly not that big of a, a injury at first but now we're hearing he's going to be out at least four weeks potentially more than that in the six to eight range so with that in mind all of a sudden the Christian McCaffrey usage becomes a lot less concerning that said he is dealing with some knee irritation himself so Nate I I personally would not expect Mason to be as involved as Mitchell was behind McCaffrey. That said, we do need to keep an eye on McCaffrey's, you know, practice participation, what this injury is going to mean moving forward. But look, it's one of those things for McCaffrey. We're always starting him no matter what. We can bark about if he's, you know, still his top three running back or more of a top five, top six running back. But what are your thoughts here? 
Um, it'll completely depend on McCaffrey's health, but McCaffrey, the first two games with Mitchell back, he was seeing the vast majority of snaps in the first half of games. The 49ers were getting a lead, and then it was Mitchell taking a lot of the snaps in the third and fourth quarter. So I could see games where the 49ers were more competitive. I wouldn't have been surprised if CMC was seeing the vast majority of snaps in some of those games. So I think as long as he's healthy, he'll see the vast majority of snaps. Um, I think if he's not 100%, we'll continue to see more of a rotation. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's Tevin Coleman who comes off the practice squad and takes the number two role since he did have that role for a very short period of time before the CMC trade. Um, he was getting more and more snaps away from Jeff Wilson. So uh, Coleman is someone that I could very well see being the number two guy and maybe seeing up to 10 carries if CFC is not 100% and they rotate a little bit more. Find someone that loves you as much as Kyle Shanahan loves Tevin Coleman. And look, hey, I am old enough to remember when Tevin Coleman was an awfully explosive player on the Falcons. And we were pretty hyped when he was going to the 49ers to, you know, rejoin forces with Kyle Shanahan. Injuries can be a real bitch sometimes. Also had our guy Mike Cannon asking Garrett Wilson or Christian Watson rest of the season. Luckily, Nate does post a weekly article going through his rest of the season rankings, which you guys can always find on PFF.com. Nate, you want to explain why you have Garrett Wilson ranked just a bit ahead of Christian Watson, albeit both still rock-solid wide receiver threes down the stretch. Um, Part of it is a little bit, I don't know what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers the rest of the way. I know over nine snaps, Jordan Love looked very good on the night game, but I don't know how good Love will be going forward. They might rely even more on the run game if Rodgers has to sit out. And it's a case where Rodgers said, as long as we're mathematically alive for the playoffs, that help continue to try playing. But once they're not mathematically alive anymore, which might be sooner rather than later, um, they could really start to shut things down where the Jets will still be fighting for a playoff spot. Um, we just saw how well Mike White played over an entire game and trying to get Wilson the ball. So uh, I trust Wilson to be a priority in the offense more so than I trust the Packers offense to continue to play well and get in touchdown territory. Great stuff. And as always, that in Nathan's waiver articles available on PFF.com. If you hate the way we look, hate the way we sound, just know all the great information is always going to be there. Oh, good note from Daniel Rogers just said on McAfee, he plans to play this week. So good to hear. And yeah, man, like, can we give Rogers a little bit of credit here for some of his toughness? The dude's literally playing with a broken right thumb. And now he's also going to be, you know, having this rib oblique injury, which just seems incredibly painful out there. So I get it if he's not, you know, your favorite person in the world and all that. But hey, one tough SOB out there playing through the pain this season. You know, I think we could see a lot of guys out there not really putting in that same effort. But regardless, let's move on to our positional breakdowns on the rest of the waiver wire. Deshaun Watson topping the list. Nate still available, allegedly. I can't believe it, but the numbers are there, and I don't think ESPN has a big conspiracy to lie to us. So Deshaun Watson available in 57.8% of leagues on ESPN. And man, if you just forgot how how good Watson is. It's been consistently excellent throughout his career, especially in Fantasyland. 2017, he was the QB1 in fantasy points per game. In 2018, he was tied for fourth. 2019, third. In 2020, he dropped all the way to sixth, even though he actually averaged more fantasy points per game than he had since his rookie year. Added all together, and only Patrick Mahomes has averaged more fantasy points per game than Deshaun Watson among every freaking quarterback to ever take a snap in NFL history. So great stuff there. 
there. Hey, if you're just you're playing fantasy football for fun, you don't think Watson has any place on your team, you are the manager, you decide. But just in terms of raw projections, what we're expecting him to do on the field, Nate, especially this week against the Texans, man, I would like to give it a week to maybe see what exactly the 2022 version of Deshaun Watson looks like. And if you are lucky enough to have, uh, you know, a Lamar Jackson, a Patrick Mahomes, then of course you're going to start those guys over Deshaun. But I'm not sure if you've done your rankings yet. Like, it's going to be pretty tough to rank 10 guys ahead of him in this great of a spot to get back on track in 2022. Oh, uh, yeah. I unfortunately do my rankings right after we do this every week. So I don't know okay. exactly where Watson will end up being. But I did mention against the Texans, they are a team that have a lot of ton of fantasy points to quarterbacks because teams are able to just run all day long against them. And I would not be surprised if the Browns decide to focus more on the run game, ease Watson into action, not make force him to have too many throws in the game so he can slowly ease his way in after not playing a regular season game. And I think it's been 700 days at this point or something like that. So um, it's understandable that they want to probably ease him in a little bit. So I probably would not want to start him this week. And they do have a tough matchup against the Bengals the week after that. But then once you get to the fantasy playoffs, that's when I start to get a bit more comfortable seeing how he does over the first two weeks and going from there. But he's definitely someone that it's good to have him on your bench at the very least so you know how it turns out rather than have someone else be able to pick him up and potentially play him against you in the fantasy playoffs. Next up, we do have Jared Goff, still only owning 29% of ESPN League. Someone that you brought up, I believe, two weeks ago, citing his end-of-the-season stretch, although the week or two before then were going to be a bit tough for him. And here we are, Jaguars, Vikings, Jets, Panthers, and Bears over the next five weeks of the year. So no disrespect to the Jets' defense, but overall, that's a pretty nice five-game stretch. And Goff, I think it's pretty fair to say at this point, is a some-of-its-parts quarterback for the most part. And I'm not trying to slander the guy when you surround him with a lot of good pieces we've seen it with the Rams and now we've seen it at least for stretches of the Lions him being more than capable of putting up big time counting numbers it does seem like we're getting Jameson Williams back before too long DJ Chark was finally back out there last week making plays mentioned that before could have had two touchdowns some god gonna do some god things even DeAndre Swift passing Justin Jackson on the depth chart what a time to be alive Nate talk about Jared Goff here down the stretch Oh uh, yeah, he had, did a solid performance on Thanksgiving, 240 yards, two touchdowns, which is solid. Uh, Shark, they eased him into action the week before, and now he's the starter again. They're doing a similar thing with Josh Reynolds right now. They eased him into action on Thanksgiving, so I'm guessing Reynolds will have a bigger role going forward, and then Jamison Williams will be there. So he'll have three new wide receivers in the top four of the depth chart, which he hasn't had for a bit recently. So I think that definitely can help Goff. And like you mentioned, the schedule looks good. So I think that all adds up to a potential top 12 quarterback over the rest of the season. Only two other notes from Nate here. We do have Trevor Lawrence, still only owning 58% of league. So if you happen to be in that lucky 41.2%, don't be afraid to add the guy who is literally only behind Joe Burrow in PFF passing grade over the last month of action. Also have Kenny Pickett, only owning 7.1% of leagues. Yes, there are going to be better options out there. But again, we do have those bye weeks right here on the horizon in week 14. And when we do look at Pickett, he has been someone willing to run the ball a lot more than some of these other pocket passers we've been talking about so specifically looking who does he play in week uh 
in week 14. I'm pulling it up as we speak. Just an awesome example of a podcasting going on right now. Okay, he gets uh, the Falcons this week and the Ravens next week. I mean, that's reasonable, man. As much as the Ravens, I still think, you know, at, in their heart of hearts, like more plays than not, they're a good defense. But you can't give up this many comebacks, this many big plays downfield without at least being a somewhat viable defense to stream quarterbacks and wide receivers against. God forbid Pickett and these wide receivers start to gain some momentum and a smashable matchup this week against the Falcons. Maybe they can keep that going against the Ravens in week 14. Moving on to some running back talk. Again, already mentioned Kyron Williams and Gus Edwards as some of the top guys. That should be available in more leagues than not. But you do note, Nate, that Isaiah Pacheco still only owned 58.2% of ESPN leagues. So Clyde Edwards-Alaire remains out of the picture. He, uh, he's on IR with a high ankle sprain. We're not going to see him for at least another three weeks. They did sign Melvin Gordon to the practice squad, but we have this tendency where anyone gets signed the practice squad. We just go to kind of the worst-case scenario of them immediately carving out a role in this offense so look they had to find a way to replace Clyde Edwards Lair in the first place they brought in Ronald Jones last week didn't see a lot out of him I don't know that and I wouldn't assume that Melvin Gordon is going to mean anything for Pacheco if anything Nate I'd take this as a sign that Rojo's roster spot could be in big time jeopardy oh uh, yeah we did see Ronald Jones play a little bit but it mostly took snaps from Jarek McKinnon rather than Pacheco which is good to see and the big thing is Pacheco started to see some goal line opportunities, which is something that we really haven't seen this season. Uh, he was able to score a touchdown because of it, and he hadn't scored since garbage time in week one. So um, that's probably been the biggest thing against him these past few weeks is he's been getting opportunities, but not so much opportunity to score. And now he's finally seeing that. So I could see Melvin Gordon joining the picture, but Gordon could play a little bit in terms of taking Ronald Jones' spot. He could play in some passing situations as he's a decently good pass blocker, but I don't think it'll be a case where he'll take too much at any playing time out of Pacheco. So I think he's pretty solid going forward. Also want to note Rashad White still only out in 61.7% of ESPN League's true workhorse role in the absence of Leonard Fournette. Doesn't seem like Fournette's going to be out for a super long period of time. He could be back this week, and I would expect things to be a little bit closer to 50-50 there, but there's a reason why we've been calling White one of the most valuable handcuffs in fantasy football. You saw that last week. Also have Zonovan Knight with the Jets, not owned 0.0% ESPN League's right now because we didn't even know he was going to be active on Sunday, but he was. Talk about the evolving New York Jets depth chart, Nate, and what it could mean for Zonovan Knight if Michael Carter is going to miss time with this ankle sprain. Sure. So we found out that uh, James Robinson was a healthy and active. Knight played well, so I would expect Knight to be ahead of Robinson on the depth chart for the foreseeable future. Um, we thought heading into the game this could be good things for Michael Carter or Ty Johnson, but really in the first half, it was Knight taking the role that Robinson had played in these last couple of weeks. So Knight was definitely having a role in the offense even before the injury happened. Then after the injury, it was Knight being in, taking all of the early down snaps. Ty Johnson never at this point saw a larger role than he typically has. Even though he did end up scoring a touchdown, he still was just the passing down back. So I would not expect much out of Johnson regardless of who is or isn't healthy. But Knight is someone that I think could be the starter and could see the majority of carries if Carter misses time. And even if Carter's not at 100%, we could see Knight playing more than we would expect and Carter less than we would expect. 
talked earlier about Mike White's just dreadfully low average target depth. And I mean, last week I came into the conversation talking about him and Joe Flacco, only two quarterbacks with a check down rate north of 10% over the past two seasons. All good when we want those targets going to a running back. So look, this week in Minnesota, next week in Buffalo, not exactly setting up a smash spots for Zonovan Knight or any of these running backs with the Jets, but we've seen them be willing to evolve this backfield throughout the season. When Brees Hall was doing Brees Hall things, they slowly but surely turned away from Michael Carter and started to feature Brees Hall. We saw last week the plan was seemingly to make it the Michael Carter and Zonovan Knight show with Robinson being the healthy scratch. So I'm not guaranteeing that in week 13. I know you're not either, Nate, that Zonovan is going to be the undisputed bell cow. It has been an annoying three-back committee for larger portions of this year. But if Zonovan, nicknamed Bam, how can you not root for a running back nicknamed Bam, people, if he can get things going over these next two weeks? God forbid they start to feature him down the stretch. He gets the Lions in Week 15, the Jaguars in Week 16, and in Seattle Week 17 could low-key start turning into – I don't want to – I've called a lot of guys the potential Rashad Penny for this year down the stretch, so I don't want to keep, you know, using that, uh, just, uh, you know, beating a dead horse there. But Zonovan Knight, again, it's a wide-open backfield. We have seen weirder things happen in fantasy than someone like this taking over down the stretch. Oh, man. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say in particular in leagues where all these guys that we talk about are typically taken, he's going to be someone that very, very, very likely is available on your waiver wires. So if you're in one of these leagues where 90% of the guys that we talk about are always taken, he's someone that's probably worth spending a bit of your waiver money on because there's probably not going to be too many people like him over the rest of the season. Yeah, I know I haven't been bringing up much fab stuff in this episode, and that's just because it's week 13. If you need one of these guys, go freaking get them, okay? It's not a matter of waiting anymore. And again, a lot of these big-time players, that would warrant the big-time fab already gone anyway. So someone like Zonovan Knight, you know, if you have 50 bucks left and you need a running back for the stretch run, don't be afraid to just go out and get the man. I'm sad that you have Tyler Algier on here, Nate, because I know how closely he's been used next to Cordero Patterson, but I can't hate on it too much because Tyler Algier has been perfectly fine with his touches, and as much as I would love to see CPAT get every single carry and target from this backfield, I do think that, you know, spelling him with Algier as long as he continues to play as well as he is makes some level of sense. So just 42% owned, still in ESPN leagues. I guess we aren't going to feel great about starting him in in of himself with Cordero Patterson still healthy. I mean, his you know rush attempt total during any given week going to be between ten and twelve more times than not. But as we saw earlier this season, and I think it could be even more so down the stretch with Caleb Huntley banged up and with them really elevating Tyler Algier to the clear cut one A one B. If you just want to call him like you know basically co starters at this point, that's been more or less what the usage is. Tyler Algier. A low-end flex with someone that could be in the RB2 conversation should anything happen to CPAT down the stretch. Uh, yeah, he was someone that like it just felt necessary to include him because he was playing well, seeing double-digit carries each game. So it's hard not to include him in this piece. And the schedule upcoming isn't great. They still have their bye week, but I didn't know that they do play the Cardinals during Fantasy Championship weekend. So that is a fairly good matchup in Week 17 that he'll have. 
Final few notes here. Just a couple handcuffs you should always be, you know, uh, wary of on the waiver wire. Samaj P. Ryan still only owned 45% of ESPN leagues. We saw the usage that kind of made Nate and I talk about P. Ryan as one of the better low-end handcuffs when we did that study here about three or four weeks ago on that edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. So it did come out that ESPN's Adam Schefter said Mixon is expected to clear the protocol by Sunday. So I don't think we're getting any more standalone weeks for P. Ryan. But as we saw, one in injury to Joe Mixon away from him being a starter in far more lineups than not. Also keep an eye on Khalil Herbert. He is going to be eligible to return in week 16. Jalen Warren missed last week with a hamstring injury, but now we're seeing Najee Harris banged up. If Warren is good to go, then that would seemingly be his job in Pittsburgh. And finally, Mike Boone eligible to return from the injured reserve this week. Look, Latavius Murray, apparently Denver just wants to feature him for some reason, but the fact they finally did give him that big of a role, I mean, I believe it was 81% snaps. It does show that they won't necessarily keep going with the committee backfield if they don't think that that's what their you know best interests are, which you can't say for every single NFL. NFL team out there. So God forbid Boone comes back, outplays Latavius Murray. Hey, there aren't that many running backs out there that have a chance to feasibly carve out a big role in their backfield down the stretch. Mike Boone is one of those guys. Moving on to wide receiver, just a couple guys that are probably owned in your league, but if not, don't be afraid to go take a stab on them. George Pickens still only owned in 64% of ESPN leagues. Continue to see him make at least one great play seemingly every single week. Rondale Moore with the Cardinals on bye and being hurt could be someone that's you know rather shockingly available. Still only owned 66% of ESPN leagues. We already talked about Michael Gallup, which takes us to rookie wide receiver of the Tennessee Titans. Trey Lombard still only owned in 37% of ESPN leagues. And I guess with Traylon, similar to Christian Watson and Garrett Wilson, like I don't think he's ever going to be someone that we're telling people you need to start him no matter what, you know, top 10 option this week. That said, we can finally get behind him as a legit solid wide receiver three because this Titans passing game has finally been giving us some level of weekly upside. I mean, over the past three weeks, 244, 320, and 281 passing yards. Nate, from week four to week nine, man, this group didn't even pass 140 rush, 140 passing yards. So I know a lot of that had to do with Malik Willis being in there and with Burks, among other players, being hurt in the passing game. But we can, I'm not saying he's AJ Brown, but guess what? We'll take a guy that's probably going to be in the top 36 rankings more weeks than not moving forward, especially considering he's a rookie and maybe he is just scraping the surface on what he could be. We'll take 90% of AJ Brown if that's what Burks could end up being. Oh, yeah, he's played fairly well these last two weeks, 181 receiving yards, which two of them came from fairly big plays, one of them in garbage time. So um, it's that's worth considering. But the, he has room to grow from here as well. He's still mostly playing in 11 personnel, not so much the other personnel packages. Um, there's a chance that he takes those snaps going forward. He started to a little bit before his injury early in the season. So there's a chance he can see more playing time, which will lead to more targets. Um as you mentioned in the Sheesh report, he scored his first NFL touchdown, which he probably won't score that way again anytime <laughs> soon. But now that he has a taste for the end zone, maybe there's a chance he'll start scoring some touchdowns. But just a case of a highly drafted rookie, there's a chance that he can put it together over the last month of the season, similar to what we saw from Amon Ross St. Brown last year. So there's a chance. With Zay Jones coming off career-high 145 receiving yards last week. He gets the Lions and Titans over the next two weeks of action. And Trevor Lawrence, if he continues to play this well, guys, won't be won't be surprising at all to see multiple 
fantasy relevant pass catchers emerging from this offense more weeks than not. Also, we did get good news that Travis Etienne was actually cleared to return. Um, so I know Dwayne and I were talking about that on the Sunday night podcast and what to think about that backfield. And the fact he was medically cleared to come back, I have no concerns about Etienne moving forward in that backfield. So good to hear there with the Bills. This one went a little bit under the radar, Nate, because it was the first game of the week, early Thanksgiving. But Isaiah McKenzie still only owned in 17% of ESPN leagues. And they've shuffled their wide receivers a little bit throughout the year. But more weeks than not here, McKenzie has gone ahead and been their starting slot receiver. So talk about how his snaps have been starting to move in the right direction. Because once again, if we can have a wide receiver that's out there on the field for a large portion of the routes that Josh Allen is dropping back to pass, you can do a lot worse in the flex when things get tough, especially with those week 14 buys coming up. Uh, yeah, something that's been nice, or not so much nice there, but Jake Kumaro has been injured, which means uh, Khalil Shakir, uh, Shakir is the backup to all three of the wide receivers, not just the backup slot receiver. So that has helped McKenzie see a little bit more playing time. Um, a big thing that happened on Thanksgiving is McKenzie has been averaging 0.37 uh, PPR fantasy points for snap against man defenses compared to 0.17 against zone so it's more than twice as good when he faces man and the next two opponents that they have the Patriots and the Dolphins are two of the three teams that use man defense the most the Lions are also one of the teams that are high up there so it just happens to be that the Bills had an opponent and have two upcoming opponents that really played to McKenzie's strength. And even in week 14, playing the Jets, I mean, look, Sauce Gardner, absolutely incredible, but he doesn't shadow guys. He's certainly not going to shadow Isaiah McKenzie over Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis. So don't underestimate the easier matchups that getting a role from the friendly confines of the slot can reward someone with. Just a few other notes here. Devontae Parker only owned in 9% of leagues, and he is a full-time player in that Patriots offense. OBJ, if he does ever come back, could feasibly be cracking that wide receiver three group in the right offense down the stretch. But I do think there are other guys we've talked about that deserve to be prioritized ahead of him. Jamison Williams, guy's practice window opened up a week ago, could be on the active roster as soon as this week. To Nate's point, you know, they did the same thing with Chark and Reynolds where they eased the guys back in. So definitely would not trust Jamison Williams in his first game back. But hey, we see the guy make a big touchdown, and then all of a sudden we're expecting the routes to go up the next week. You know, he's going to be someone that we're going to be hyping up as a top five waiver wire addition. If you have the room, don't be afraid to go get him right now. And finally, Matt Collins continuing to low-key be pretty solid this year. As Nate notes, last week was his third 50-plus yard game in the last five weeks. Scored his third touchdown of the season. Similar sentiment to Foster Moreau. We have a full-time player in an offense where not everything is going to go through Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs. You're not going to feel good about starting Matt Collins. But if you're in some of these, you know, 14-team leagues with three flexes. I know I have a couple of those, Nate. I'm sure you do as well. All of a sudden, Mac Holland starts looking pretty good uh, when you get down the stretch with all these injuries and bye weeks going on. At tight end, Hayden Hurst, Nate, still only own 59% of ESPN leagues. We are going to have Jamar Chase seemingly coming back this week, so that's not going to exactly help out the rest of the options in terms of their targets, but maybe he does bring this overall offensive scoring upside to an even higher level by simply being one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. So overall rest of the season thoughts here on Hayden Hurst, who does seemingly have a pretty reasonable next five opponents, even though it maybe isn't the best in the world. 
Oh, yeah, he caught six passes for 57 yards, which is better than you'll see out of a lot of tight ends. So he's just very consistently been a top 12 or so fantasy tight end this season uh, with the injuries we've had that slowly moved him up the rankings a little bit. And like you said, the schedule, it's not great. It's not terrible. There's no extremes either way on the spectrum over these next five games. So I think he's just someone that if you need a starting fantasy tight end, definitely okay to put him in that place over a lot of other players. Talked about Fossa Moreau too. And everyone, that's going to wrap up our edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Appreciate you guys tuning in as always. 13 weeks down. You better believe we'll be back here for the next four weeks getting you guys ready to go. I, I say it every year though, Nate. You know, if you have a fantasy league in week 18, I'll try to answer some of the questions and stuff on Twitter. But man, well, what are you doing with the championship game in week 18? You deserve to, you know, not exactly have the best resources at your disposal. Okay, fine. I don't mean that. But seriously, don't play in leagues with kickers. Don't play in leagues that have week 18 championships. I don't ask much, but those are my two rules when it comes to creating fantasy football content the best we can. But Nate, your freaking Slack message, your weekly Slack message of the 40 freaking articles you do per week always gives me a chuckle. Let the folks know just how much content is available at their fingertips over there on PFF.com. Sure. So we have the fantasy recaps going up immediately after games, which went up after Sunday's game. Monday's game will happen again on Thursday's game. I had the top 10 recap that went up yesterday. Um, five to add, five to buy low, five to sell high, five to cut. Um, obviously, in leagues, the trade deadline's passed for almost all leagues at this point, so I focused the buy low to sell high on dynasty players for these next couple weeks. So if you're in dynasty leagues, definitely feel free to check that out. Our rest of season rankings went up today. Uh, we'll have rankings that go up tomorrow, starts at the day after that. Kings State Kings appreciate everything you do Nate and appreciate all your listeners out there again week 13 we've made it here let's go clinch those playoff spots if we haven't already go win some fantasy football championships so for Nate I'm Ian thanks again for tuning in to PFF fantasy football podcast until next time take care everybody 